0: Getting to know the Holy Spirit is where we're at tonight. Getting to know the Holy Spirit. And uh, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, who He is. And uh, uh, tonight um, we, we have to understand who Jesus or who the Holy Spirit really is. And um, it, it's important. I don't think that's the right lesson, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm reading upside down. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was looking at what I printed off. I knew this was the right lesson up here, but I walked over here and I was like, is that the right thing? Okay, we're good. Um, to prepare to live for God in a world of evil spirits, we must know the Holy Spirit. We must also understand how he equips us to live victorious in this world. We have to know how he equips us. So first of all, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? we talked about, uh, as you've heard pre- preachers preach and you've heard speakers speak about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me tell you something. And I think it's very important for us to understand. You cannot be any more saved than you are when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You understand that? Like like when I get saved, it's not a process. It's not I get saved today, and then uh, tomorrow I get a little bit more saved, and the next day I get a little bit more saved. When, when I get saved, when I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I'm as saved as I ever can be. But at that moment is when I start on the road to... What we refer to in the, uh, in, in the uh, doctrinal world as sanctification. I start on my sanctification process. And what sanctification means, it basically means that I'm striving to be more like Christ. I can never be Christ. You understand that? I can never even come close to attaining who Christ is. However, what I can do is that I can strive to be like him. You know why I can strive to be like him? Because I was created in his image, right? I was created in his likeness. And so I can strive to be like him, but I can never be like him. So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I I want you to understand at the very beginning of this lesson, uh, because if you don't get this, I I don't believe anything else is going to make sense to you. The Holy Spirit in Christianity is not an emotional experience, okay? Okay. I've had people come talk to me, and they'll say, Pastor, we've watched people walk the aisles and get on their knees, and they'll sob, and they'll cry, and and, and literally, the tears will be flowing everywhere, and they'll accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and, and it'll just be this unbelievable emotional experience, and they'll say to me, Pastor, it wasn't like that for me. Am I saved? Because I didn't go through this emotional roller coaster that others went on. Listen, salvation is not an emotion, salvation is an experience. Are you with me? Salvation is not an emotion, salvation is an experience. Just like our Christian life is not an emotion, it's an experience. Now, are there highs and lows in the Christian life? Certainly, there are highs and lows in the Christian life. However, the Christian life is not supposed to be ridden like a roller coaster. We, we are, the, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changeth not. And because of that, I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can be used by God. I, I can enjoy my Christianity just as much as somebody else in a non-emotional way. Uh, I grew up in a church where, uh, um, and, and, and please don't, don't, uh, don't think I'm discounting this because I'm not. But I grew up in a church where, I mean, everybody shouted, they raised their hands. Uh, We had a couple people in our church that ran. You you been in a church like that? Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's their experience. For me, I don't do that. I I like to say amen every once in a while, you know, if the spirit moves me. But I'm not... I'm not the raise my hand and, and run the aisle kind of person. Does that mean that the person that is versus me, that they are more spiritual and have a better Christian experience than me? No, absolutely not. The experience happens because of our personalities and who we are in Jesus Christ, our identity. So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to make sure that you, don't, that you understand. This is not, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not an emotion, Being filled with the Holy Spirit is an experience. That's very important for you to understand, all right? Every Christian must know the answer to this question because being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion, it's a command. God tells us not to be drunk on wine because it leads to reckless living. Ephesians chapter 5, be not drunk on wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead, in the remaining part of that verse, it says... That we are to be filled with the Spirit. It is a command. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is in access, but be filled with the Spirit. That is a complete filling. If, if I could use it like this, it would be like taking an empty glass and filling it all the way up till it's running over. Being filled with the Spirit. It is a complete moment. It is a complete experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. To obey this command, we must know that the word filled means to be, what does it say? controlled by did you see it being filled with the spirit means that we are controlled by it that means that God is the author of it God is in charge of who we are when we are filled with the spirit there is no room for selfishness pride or sinful desires being filled with the Holy Spirit requires obeying what in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, where the Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. Somebody tell me what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? To hinder, to hinder him. What, what other thought comes to your mind? To make, it, to make it sad about how we're Okay, good. Uh, it is literally, uh, it, it, if I could put it to you this way, uh, the Greek word is is a, is a very interesting word. But it literally means to grieve not the Holy Spirit. It literally means, I'm going to use the redneck term, here it comes, to not squash him. That's what it means. Actually, that is the Greek definition of it. Um, to to grieve not, to to squash not the Holy Spirit. In other words, what can happen is, is that in our own lives... The Holy Spirit can be working on us so much that literally we suppress Him. We, we tell Him no in our lives. We grieve Him. That is unbiblical. That is not being filled with the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit means that I'm led by Him. I'm controlled by Him. I'm doing everything that I should be doing for Him. Does that mean that I'm perfect? No, because I can never attain perfection. What it means is, is that I'm obeying Him, that I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. I'm not grieving him. It's kind of like a, a parent and child relationship. You know, I tell my children to do certain things and I have certain expectations for my children. When they don't do them, it grieves me. You know why it grieves me? Not because they didn't do it, but because I know that I have to punish them because they didn't do it. I never understood my dad whenever he'd say, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> have you seen how big my dad is? And I would say, how is that even possible? And I remember the very last time my dad said that to me, my dad looked at me right in the eyes. I'll never forget it. I mean, right dead in the eyes. He was like this close to my face. And he said this, one day you're going to understand, boy. And let me tell you what, he was right. Because now I have three of my own, and, the, and, 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 and I don't like the discipline part of it. It grieves me within my spirit. It hurts me. But it's also very necessary. In order to help guide them. The same thing with the Holy Spirit of God. We have to be cautious not to grieve him. In the next verse, in chapter 4 and verse 31, Paul lists six sins that grieve the third person of the Trinity and prevent us from being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is important for us because uh, we need to know how we, uh, how we go about grieving the Spirit and how we can prevent it. We must empty ourselves of, first of all, bitterness, which is the opposite of Forgiveness. Are you with me? All right, we have to to release bitterness in our life. Grieving the Holy Spirit means that we're holding on to something. We're holding on to a grudge. We're holding on to someone or something that has hurt us. Bitterness. Uh, That word is very interesting because it starts with the word bitter. Bitter. It's a bad taste in my mouth, right? That's what bitter is. And bitterness, that's exactly what it is. You know, whenever, whenever you see that person, you have this, this uh, thought in your mind, this thought in your spirit and in your soul, and, and it's bitter. That's the total opposite of forgiveness. Of Be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgiveness. So empty yourselves of bitterness. We must empty ourselves also of all wrath or rage. ...which is a violent outburst of frustration. Anybody ever been frustrated? Right? Um, this is emptying ourselves of wrath or rage. Now, it's, it's interesting that, that we talk about this... ...because literally this is something that can fill us up. So literally we have to empty it. Are you with me? We have to empty the wrath of the rage... ...which is a violent outburst of frustration. Wrath is the outward manifestation of anger... Wrath is anger let loose, basically. That's what wrath is. We have to be very careful that we don't allow our wrath to overtake us, our anger to overtake us. Next, we have to envy ourselves a clamor, which means a loud cry and refers to loud insults. as, As we are talking to other people that we do not put them down in order to lift ourselves up. It also includes shouting or yelling in anger, which is the first sign that we're losing control and letting the evil one fill or control us. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we can all understand this, that there's, all been, all, there's times in all of our lives that we lose control a little bit. Or is it just me? Okay. I'll tell on myself because you don't want me telling you, right? Um, you know, we all at times... Uh, uh, burst out and say things that we probably shouldn't have said in a mannerism that we shouldn't have. That's clamor. What what does that mean, Pastor? It's disruption. It's really not uh, uh, benefiting anyone. It really isn't. Because here's the thing. You know, I've always tried to do this in my own family, and and I'll be honest with you. I, I fail as a dad probably more than anybody in this room. And I'm just being honest with you, uh, I, I, I struggle sometimes in the midst of a, of a moment and you're like, you just want to say, what are you doing, right? Why are you doing that? And, and we look at it and, and this is the one thing that shouting and yelling uh, uh, and anger does is it causes the person on the other end to have one of two emotions. The other person on the other end either has the emotion of fear, which I never want my children to be afraid of me. I want them to respect me, but I don't want them to be afraid of me. Or the emotion of retaliation. Those are the two emotions that take place when yelling and shouting begins to happen. And, and, and what that... what the evil one wants that to take place in our lives because that's the disruption. That, that, That then leads to animosity. That then leads to bitterness. And it begins to pile up and pile up and pile up. Pastor, you don't know my boss though. Yeah, I understand. Pastor, you don't know about this person that's in my life or that person that's in my life. The only way I feel like I can get my point across is by raising my voice and yelling or shouting. Well, it's probably because it started way back a long time ago. And that's the only way we're communicating because now clamor has taken over our life and there's so much noise. It's so important that we back off of that and not be filled with that. Because if we're filled with that according to the word of God, then we are not filled with the Spirit. Evil speaking means saying something to damage one's character or reputation. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must also empty ourselves of all malice, which is intent to harm or to hurt someone with our words or our actions. Do you you see a, a trend here? The trend is this. Everything that I'm filled with, that I can't be filled with the Spirit, all has to do with other people. Did you see it? It has to do with my response to people. It has to do with my emotions that are filling up inside of me. You see that? Because the the enemy and the Holy Spirit of God know that we are very emotional people. Everything in our lives revolves around emotion, right? I I mean, uh, how we feel about someone when we walk into a room is an emotion, uh, whenever we go into a sad place in our life, it's an emotion. Whenever we have a wonderful thing that happens in our life, it's an emotion. And, and everything in our life for some reason is, is, evolves around that idea of an emotion. And what is God saying here? God is saying that we have to fill ourselves up with the Holy Spirit of God so that our emotions do not overtake us. Do you realize that you can either be free with your emotions or you can be captivated by your emotions? It's very important that we understand that. It's very important that we are filled with the Spirit so that we can see our emotions through His eyes and through what He wants in our lives. Emotions can cause us to to go into a deep depression. It can also cause us to go into the highest place on the mountaintop in our lives. But can I remind you that the Christian life is not like a roller coaster, as I said a few moments ago. You know, the very first time that we moved here a couple years ago, and I took my son, my son had never went on a roller coaster before, so I took him to Six Flags. And I said, what roller coaster do you want to get on? He had mapped it out, he had looked at it all, and he wasn't about to go on a a roller coaster that went upside down. You know, don't put me in a loop, right? And uh, so he said, Dad, I want to go on one that just goes straight. I said, well, we can drive there. That's as straight as it gets. You know, I can put you on I-75 or I-285 in the middle of rush hour, and that's about all I can do with that roller coaster. He goes, no, it can have a few, you know, dips in it or something, you know. And he goes, it'll be fine. I said, okay. So we get to the park. We go in. He looks at the map, and he says, well, let's go to the scream machine, He goes, do you think I'll scream? I said, I don't know. I said, I probably know that when we get off the ride, that your knuckles will be just as white as anything that you can imagine. And he goes, well, I think I'll do it. So we get over to the scream machine, and we have to stand there and watch it go like ten times. Because we've got to figure out if we're going to get on it or not. All right? And finally, we muster up the courage to do it. And we get on the ride. And he looks at me. I'll never forget this. He looks at me. Now, don't you tell him I'm telling you this story, all right? He looks at me and says, I want to get off. <laughs> and then you hear, click. And I said, well, it's a little too late for that, buddy. And so here we go. And you know how it goes. It rounds the corner and click, 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 you know, all the way up. And um, we get to the top. He's looking around. I'm kind of watching him. You know, I love roller coasters. so It didn't bother me at all. I'm kind of watching him. He's I mean, he is gripping that thing harder than you can imagine. And they're not even that far of drops. And he's we start down and we're going. And, you know, it does that little turn like this. And he says, we're done. And I said, oh, no, we're not. Hang on. (laughs) And down we go again. (laughs) So we come around and we're on the last, you know, coming into back to the place. And that thing hits those air brakes and you lock up. He looks over at me. He goes, I don't know about that. <laughs> I said, and this is what I asked. I said, What are you feeling? This is what I want you to know, I want to know what you're feeling. He said, Well, I've never felt like this before. <laughs> he said, But I can feel my heart. He said, It's pounding really hard. So we get off the roller coaster. I'm telling you a true story. We get off the roller coaster. We're standing there, and he looks at me, and he goes, well, that wasn't too bad. like, <laughs> wait a minute. He just said your heart was pounding out of you. And he goes, I want to get back on it. That was fun. And I said, OK. So we get back on it, and we go. And so finally, I got him on the mind bender. And then we went home. Um, but Yeah, I pushed it too far. But can I tell you? when you think about that for a moment, think about what we just did. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being filled with our emotions. And if we would just allow the Holy Spirit of God to reign in our lives so that we can live a life that's acceptable in His sight and is level in His sight and trust Him with everything, be filled with, because if you're filled with him, you can't be filled with anything else. When we empty ourselves of all these evil emotions, there will be a vacuum that can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Only then is it possible, and we've already said this verse a few moments ago, to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. All of us in this room can say there's been times in our life we've been hurt by other people, right? We've all been hurt. You may have been hurt by somebody that's even sitting in this room tonight. Can I tell you something? Look at me for a minute. Please look at me. It's going to happen. You know why? Because we're people. We're people. Can I remind you that there are many people who hurt Jesus? Who said terrible things about him, yet he still went to the cross and died for them? You remember that? You understand that? You say, but pastor, you already said that I'm, I can't be him. You're right. But we can be like him. We can be like him. It's so important that we don't live our lives in a pit of despair because that we are, are, are so shackled by our unforgiveness and our malice and our contempt towards other people. The word translated filled, as we talked about being filled in the Holy Spirit, is a present tense verse, which denotes a continuous action. It's something that we must do every day. It's something that we must pray for every day. Lord, help me to be filled with your spirit. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Only by emptying ourselves of all the sinful emotions listed in Ephesians 4.31. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be produced in our lives. So this brings us to the second question tonight: What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? We talked about being filled with the Spirit. Now we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. This is really getting to know who the Holy Spirit is. If we're filled with Him, then we will produce the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit has nine components. And you've heard this preached on many times in your life, I'm sure. out of Galatians chapter number 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such There is no law. So there's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, like a pie divided into pieces. Each of the components is required for there to be a whole. The fruit of the Spirit is a word picture of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate example of each component. I want you to understand what it said. I'm going to go back here just a minute. It says, but the, what's the next word? Fruit. It does not say fruits. That's very important, because if it was a plural word, a plural noun, then, then it would be considered everything has to, is all of one unit. It's not of one unit. It's all individual. It's the fruit of the spirit. Each one of those components has to be relevant in our lives. The, 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 the spirit of love, that's one thing. The spirit of joy, that's another thing. Peace and Peace and so forth and so on. They're all singular in thought. The second, uh, uh, excuse me, the fruit of the Spirit is singular like a pie uh, divided into pieces. So each of the components there are, are very important. I, I must have uh, missed the, the, on the screen here one of the lines. Um, let's see here what it says. Um, here we go. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is in a trio of threes. The first trio is love, joy, and peace. And it concerns our relationship with God. It concerns our relationship with God. If one is missing, something is wrong in our relationship with God. Love, agape, is a self-sacrificing affection for others. A self, do you see that? A self-sacrificing affection for who? Others. Joy is a constant, deep-seated gladness. And peace is an inner tranquility not affected by circumstances. Do you see it? Uh, A self-sacrificing affection for others, a constant deep-seated gladness, and a tranquility that is not affected by circumstances. That is who we are and what we are when it comes to our relationship with Christ. The second trio is long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And it concerns how we treat people. Long-suffering means we put up with irritating people. I'm asking a lot. I'm sorry. That's long-suffering. That's right. Long-suffering. Uh, long-suffering means that we put up with irritating people. Now, I know you don't know anyone that's irritating. I know that. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> um, but we have, to, we have to put up with them. You know, it's difficult sometimes. Uh, we can always say this, you know, I, I'm going to always love you, but sometimes I might not like you, Right. Um, and 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 that's the truth of who we are. It is a long suffering boy. I tell you, I'm certain that there are sometimes God looks down on me and thinks that I'm irritating too, right? But He's long suffering. He's long suffering, and that's who Jesus is, and that's who we have to represent. Secondly, there's gentleness or kindness, and it's the opposite of rudeness or crudeness or mad cruelty. Uh, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 17 tells us why we should be gentle and kind. It says, the merciful man doeth good to his own soul, but he that is cruel, what does he do? He He troubles his own flesh. The merciful man doeth good to his own soul. Doeth good to his own soul. The word goodness refers to helping people by being generous and benevolent with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Being good. The goodness of your heart. You've ever, ever, you've ever heard somebody say they're giving out of the goodness of their hearts. That means they're being generous, benevolent um, with their time and their talent and their treasure. The third trio is faith, meekness, and temperance. And this relates to our inner beings. First we had our relationship with God. We had our relationship with others. And now we're talking about our own selves, the, the inside of us. Faith refers to dependability both toward God and others. Listen to me. This is very important, especially for men. Meekness is not weakness. Are you with me? Meekness is not weakness, but it's power under control. It's like a wild animal that's been domesticated, such as like a horse. You know, being meek, being humble... Understanding your position in Christ. Meekness is not weakness. Jesus is the greatest example of power under control. As he is being arrested to be crucified, he tells his disciples not to fight back. He then informs them that he could ask his father to immediately send more than 12 legions or thousands of angels to rescue them. Listen, Jesus is the greatest example Of power under control. It's important that we understand the power that we hold within our own words that we speak. With our own actions that we do. And we understand that we need to have them under control. Being being a self-controlled person is a very vital part of the Christian life. May I remind you that you may be the only ...source of Christianity that people ever see or hear. Understand that? You you may be the only source. They they may not ever darken the doors of a church. They may not ever open a Bible. But they have you. And and for us, it's important that we understand... ...of being self-controlled and having a testimony... ...that exemplifies Jesus Christ. Temperance refers to the ability to control our desires and emotions... It is the restraint of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's who we are. We have now answered two questions. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? And what is the fruit of the Spirit? However, not only does the Holy Spirit fill us and produce the fruit of the Spirit in us, but he also gives us spiritual gifts. Therefore, we need to understand the third question is, how can I find and develop my spiritual gift? How many of you have ever taken a spiritual gift test? Okay, good. Um, there, there are um, programs or whatever you want to call them, where you take a, a, a test and asks you a bunch of questions. I think there's like a hundred or two hundred questions, and uh, through your answers, they give you what your spiritual gifts are. And, and I'm not opposed to that whatsoever. Um, however, I do believe with all my heart. That if we understand what spiritual gifts are, then we'll understand what we have. Okay? Because I believe that they're revealed through the Holy Spirit. Um, I I don't know that a a piece of paper does us justice to the gifts that we have. Now, there are also some gifts that are controversial. And uh, we're going to talk about those. I'm not going to shy away from them. Somebody came to me last Week And they said, Pastor, are you really going to talk about all the gifts of the Spirit? I really am. We may not get to it tonight, um, but we are going to talk about the gifts of healing. We are going to talk about the gifts of speaking in tongues. Um, I'm not going to shy away from them. But I also believe that there are biblical explanations for all of them. And I think it's important that we understand them and develop them uh, so that we can know what our spiritual gifts are. Um, That's why your handout is so long, is because there's a deep explanation about several of these. Um, So how can I find and develop my spiritual gifts? We won't get to it all tonight, but we'll start and we'll finish it next week. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 1. However, most Christians know very little about spiritual gifts. Um, This is something that... Um, you know, spiritual gifts, it depends on what church you went to or who the pastor was or Sunday school teacher that you went to. Uh, there are some that are like everything is about the spiritual gift. And then there are some who st- stay away from the spiritual gifts because they're afraid of them. And, uh, and so tonight I'm, I'm just going to go at the approach that we need to understand what each one of these spiritual gifts are and what the Bible says about each one of them. And how we can find them and what spiritual gifts that we have and be able to develop them. You know, it would be like waking up on Christmas morning with your kids and there being nothing under the tree. Let let me just put it to you this way. There would be disappointment, right? There might even be a little bit of frustration. Okay? That's exactly the way a Christian lives when they do not understand the gifts that God has given them. I've, I, we've had presents underneath the tree. We opened them up. You ever put a present together and it didn't work? Or, or even better, have you ever opened a present and forgotten to buy the batteries for it? You know, here it is. It's right there in front of you, but you can't use it. You know? Um, I heard a story one time about a, a, a young lady that got a brand new car for Christmas... Her parents spent hours wrapping the car, you know, I mean, they like wrapped the car and and, and all night long it was wrapped with a huge bow on top of it. The girl woke up in the morning and and she ran outside because that's where her parents told her her present was. You know, there's this huge wrapped car, she starts taking it all apart, unwrapping it, and there it sits. And it was even the car that she had picked out, and that's the car that she had always wanted. She runs back inside to her, her dad's watching, runs over to her dad and says, Dad, can I have the keys? There's where the problem started. They wrapped the car, they knew where everything was at except for the keys. They couldn't find them. I remember her dad telling me this story, and he looked at me and said, Lee, this was the worst feeling in the world. He said, we went on a hunt for the keys. He said, and I could not find them anywhere. So that car sat in our driveway for a week until the dealership opened back up so we could get a new key for it. You know how heartbreaking that was for that young lady. She was ready to drive that thing. That's exactly the way it is in the Christian life. God has granted all of us gifts we need to be able to have the key of understanding to use those gifts. So so it's important for us to understand what they are. The devil wants to keep Christians ignorant... so they'll not use their spiritual gifts to advance the kingdom of God. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us... whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith... So having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we all have gifts. Everyone has a different gift. And we just need to find out what our gifts are and how to use them. Spiritual gifts are received by grace. So like salvation, spiritual gifts are not earned or deserved. They're just given. There are at least 20 spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. The first step in finding and developing our spiritual gifts is first of all to know what they are. So there's at least 20 uh, spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament. And like I said, we've all been given a gift. But the first thing that's important to know is what these gifts are. Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, lists seven of them. First in the list is the gift of prophecy. And that's referring to the gift of a prophet or preaching God's word. Now, we believe... Because uh, th- it starts right here with, uh, with, with different understanding and different beliefs. Do you believe that the Bible that you hold in your hand is complete? Right? Do you believe that we know everything that God wants us to know written within that word of God? Okay. So therefore, there are no new prophecies. Are you with me? God is not raining down onto people and telling them things about, and, and they are not. There are no prophets or prophetesses. Yeah, that's the right word. Um, that are getting new visions of the future. It's just not happening because God has revealed to us exactly what we need to know, written within the sixty-six books of the Word of God. Okay, so there there are no new prophecies. When the Bible talks about having the gift of prophecy, he's talking about having the gift of preaching God's word. Uh, The Bible says that he gave some uh, evangelists, some pastors, uh, so forth and so on. These are gifts that God gives um, to preach the word of God. and, And that's what prophecy is. It's not revealing new prophetic thoughts. The Bible is very complete. We've studied the book of Revelation. You can study the book of Daniel. Uh, He gives us exactly what he wants to know. So what are the three functions of a prophet? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 3. Here they are. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, to what? First of all, to edify, and then for exhortation, and then for comfort. So he's to lift them up as a pastor or a preacher of the gospel. He's to lift them up. He's to exhort them by telling them what's right and what's wrong. And then he's to comfort them in times of trouble. That's what a preacher or a pastor is. Do you see it? That's exactly, God has defined for us as pastors exactly what we are supposed to do. To lift up, to line up, and to have you lean on us. That's what we're to do. So, he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's the gift of, a, of prophecy. Now, Romans 12, 7 lists two gifts. The first is the gift of ministry, which translates the word from which we get our word deacon. So, there, are some, the, there is a, a gift of ministry, or a gift of a deacon, or a gift of, the real word here should be Servant. The gift of serving, that's what a a deacon does. It is the gift of serving others in practical ways. That, That is the gift of the ministry. The gift of the ministry is always giving. Do you see it? The gift of ministry is giving. The gift of ministry is not taking. It is a giving ministry. Thirdly, the gift of teaching is proclaiming God's word to promote spiritual growth. This is where we get uh, uh, from our nursery to our children's ministry to our youth ministry to our Sunday school classes to our Bible studies. uh, On and on it goes. The gift of teaching. Those that are taking the word of God and teaching it to other people to promote spiritual growth. If you're being taught something that does not enhance your spiritual growth, that is not the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching is all about promoting our spiritual health in our lives. Romans twelve eight lists four gifts, beginning with the gift of exhortation or encouragement. It is the God given ability to encourage or comfort believers. I'm going to tell you right now, before we move any further, any further, this is, in my opinion, one of the greatest gifts. Now, I can't, I can't say that there are some that are greater than others. Okay, I, 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 as a pastor, I can't tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, that there is nothing like being encouraged. Are you with me? We're almost done, I promise. There's nothing like being encouraged. There's nothing like someone telling you, I'm praying for you. There's nothing like somebody coming and just uh, putting their arm around you or patting you on their back or or telling you that they're thinking about you. The gift of encouragement. And by the way, our church is full of people that have the gift of encouragement. I'm just telling you right now. I love it. You know, I'm going to be real honest with you. And you can probably tell a little bit, and I apologize greatly to you tonight. Uh, I, there, this has been a, 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 a rough week, okay? I'm just going to put it to you that way. I'm allowed to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you who I am, all right? It's been a rough week. I, I feel a little bit, um, and I don't even know if this is the right word, discombobulated, okay? And, and you probably can tell that a little bit tonight. Um, and I apologize for that. But this afternoon... Um, I was driving home, and um, I got a phone call, and I said, hello, and uh, the other end of the phone said, hey, pastor, and I said, hey, how are you, and they said, good, and I said, uh, probably what I say to everybody, how can I help you, what-, what can I do for you, and I'm telling you, this is the honest truth, and maybe this is why I'm discombobulated tonight, the person on the phone said, you can't do anything for me, I didn't call you for me, I called you, I called you for you. And I said, excuse me? And they said, the Lord told me that you needed somebody to call and tell you that they loved you. And that they care about you. And that they're praying for you. I'm driving down the road. I'm trying not to get into a wreck. And I'll, I mean, I, I don't get at a loss for words often. But at that moment, I was, I, I mean, I just didn't know what to say. And there was like that awkward pause, you know? You know that moment of awkward pause? And the person on the other end of the phone said, that's all. Have a great day. And I said, you too. Thank you so much. And I hung up the phone. And I'm going to tell you what. As difficult as this, be, this week has been, it just kind of erased it. The gift of encouragement. Can I tell you something? Watch this, because this is very important for you to understand. It is their gift Watch that they gave to me. They gave their gift to me. And, and I, I don't know how they knew. I, I, I don't even know. Maybe somebody spying on me. I don't know. But the gift of encouragement... You say, Pastor, do you think everyone has the gift of encouragement? I don't think everyone has the gift of encouragement, but I think everyone has the ability to encourage. Okay? There's a huge difference. You know, those people that just have that gift, wow, I mean, it's unbelievable. But everyone has the ability to do it. Or the other idea here is that gift of exhortation is to comfort believers. To to be that person that that you can rest on, that you can rely on in times of difficulty, in times of trouble. To comfort people in a moment of tragedy, in a moment of death, in a moment where it seems like their life is falling apart. To be able to comfort them. By the way, that takes a special person. Takes a special person. You know, I, you can say I'm praying for you. You can say that I'm sorry for you. You can say that I wish I could do something for you. You can say all those kind of things. But those people that have the gift of exhortation, they don't even have to say anything. You can just feel it. You can just know that they care. The gift of exhortation, I think it's a very important gift. And by the way, if you have the gift of exhortation, listen to me. Please listen to me. If you have the gift of exhortation, please use it. Please use it. because It's so vitally important to the Christian life. The next gift is he that giveth. And this refers to people with the gift of making money and giving back cheerfully and generously to the Lord. Um, he that giveth. You know, God has blessed some people uh, with the financial stability and ability to help other people and to help the church. And, and this is literally a gift. You know, I, I've had people tell me, Pastor, you know, all I can do is give. That's all I can do. I, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. And, and, and I feel terrible, Pastor, because all I can do is give. Well, guess what? That's a gift. That's a gift. God has given you the, the means. God has given you the financial ability to give. And that's a gift. By the way, you should use your gift. You knew we weren't going to leave here without me saying that, did you? Um, You should use your gift, seriously. And I'm not just saying that for the benefit of our church. I'm saying that for the benefit of your life. I really am. Because I believe that, I mean, it's amazing to me that God put that in the word of God as literally a spiritual gift. He that giveth, it is a spiritual uh, uh, example, it's a spiritual blessing to be able to give. And they give it not grudgingly, they don't give it because they have to, they give it cheerfully and generously to the Lord. And we don't have time to continue tonight, so we're going to stop there. If you'll bring those outlines back next week, I'd encourage you to go home and uh, you can read through that whole um, section there where it talks about the gift of miracles, the gift of tongues. Uh, Some of you may be interested in knowing that one of the spiritual gifts is the gift of singleness. Um, You may not know that, um, that that God gives the gift of being single um, to people. And that's uh, very interesting. You may have never heard that before. Um, It's a biblical um, aspect. And so that may be of interest to you as well. And so you can look, and, and it could be... By the way, he's given us all the gift of singleness. Some of us is just temporary because then he brings a spouse into our lives. Others of us, he brings a spouse into our lives and for whatever reason, he takes them away. Um, Or through circumstances, they are taken away. And he gives us, again, the gift of singleness. And so it's important that you look at that and understand that, that being single is not God being upset with you. It's actually a gift of the Spirit. And so... Um, you you look at all that there's a lot of reading material there but we'll go we'll uh go through it all next week and uh look at it and certainly answer any questions that you may have uh, to the best of our ability all right well let's pray together Father we love you thank you for all that you've done in our lives but I know that in my own spirit I've been uh, scattered a little bit tonight um, and lord i i I just I pray that in some way that the words that were spoken would be clear and understood and, Lord, uh, that uh, you would help us to know who you are. Lord, that you would just ingrain in us the things that need to be ingrained in us and, Lord, teach us the way that you would have us to be taught. Thank you for our church. Thank you uh, for their understanding and, uh, Lord, for their patience. And so, God, I pray that you will give us a great rest of the week. We look forward to serving you again on Sunday uh, as we come and worship in this place. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. I hope to see you tomorrow morning, 538 o'clock. Ladies, 9 o'clock, 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. And uh, I hope to see you on Sunday. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. C building, yes, in the C building.